Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Genesis chapter 31, I'm reading from the NIV. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me, toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him. And Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you, why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing and the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. 
But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Laban answered, sorry, Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, "'Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period.' So he searched, but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. "'What is my crime?' he asked Laban. "'How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household?' Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you have demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This is my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters, and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you surely, so you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Laban asked Jacob, the woman are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have borne? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it is called Galid. It was also called Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives beside my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to harm, to your side to harm you and you will not go past this heap and my pillar to harm, to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. 
he offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Amen. As most of you know, um, we've spent uh, some time unpacking the stories found in the middle chapters of Genesis. These stories are about the lives, primarily of the three Hebrew patriarchs of faith, Abraham, his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob, who was later known as Israel. And so we've repeatedly seen that in spite of the human condition, our human condition, of brokenness and of weakness, God's sovereign purposes are being fulfilled in and through these amazing men and their families. Our focus lately has been on the life of Jacob. Our very first song this morning referred to the God of Jacob. We've been embroiled in the detail of the deep-seated family hostilities that characterize his life, especially between him and his brother, his twin brother, Esau. We've discovered that he's a determined man. Some would even call him ruthless. True to his name, which only mean, doesn't only mean deceiver, but more literally grabber, he has shown himself to be a con artist, a liar, a manipulator. And then we've seen him leaving home in Beersheba, that's in the south of modern Israel, and traveling north and settling in Haran. This is situated on the border of modern Turkey and Syria. Just think about that for a moment. Home to the modern Kurds. That's where we're situated today. By the way, one of my absolute favorite artists, Marc Chagall. I thought I'd put him up there. Um, in order for us to understand the context of today's passage in chapter 31, we need to see that it lies between two significant encounters that Jacob had with God. The first is at a place called Bethel on the left, and the second at a place called Peniel. The first occurs and he's, as he's about to adventure out of the land of promise and is found back in chapter 28. And it says, at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and there he stopped for the night. And Jacob found a stone to rest his head against, and he lay down to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on this ladder or this staircase. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and to your descendants. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Now, we've heard these words before. They were the promise to Abraham. They were repeated to Isaac. And now they are given to Jacob. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go, 
One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished everything that I have promised for you. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says much the same. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ. In Jacob's spectacular vision, he sees a ladder, the stairway between heaven and earth, populated by ministering angels. I'd love to see that dream. I'd love to see that. One day, we will. Unlike the Tower of Babel, back in Genesis chapter 11, this is a God-initiated connection between himself and man. God graciously then makes personal promises to Jacob. Promises of his presence, of his protection, of prosperity, of providence, and his world-changing progeny. I love the peas. For Jacob, this was the turning point in his life. When he encountered God for himself, not just his grandfather's God, not just his father's God, his God. And he encountered God and he devoted his life to him. For most of us here, we can remember our first encounters with God. When he revealed himself to us, committed himself to us, and we committed ourselves to him. For me, this happened way back in 1972, a Friday night in my hometown of Napier back in Aotearoa, commonly known as New Zealand. <laughs> that night, my brother and I stood for the first time understood for the first time that God's offer of love and salvation was for us. And we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. We encountered for ourselves Jesus, the promised descendant of Jacob. We discovered for ourselves the perfect Jacob's ladder who came to earth and became a stairway for us to know God's love and grace. Maybe you haven't experienced that. Maybe this morning you need that life-changing encounter for yourself. This morning you can. I urge you to find Jesus for yourself, to know that grace, to know that he is Jacob's ladder for you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and he said, this place is awesome. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And the, the next morning he got up very early, he took the stone he had rested his head against, he set it upright as a memorial pillar and he poured olive, over, olive oil over it and he named the place Bethel, the house of of God. Beth, like Bethlehem, Bethany, the house of God, El. Jacob called his encounter God's place. God's place. The other major encounter that God has with, sorry, that Jacob has with God, well, God has with Jacob, occurs 20 years later, and it's recorded for us in chapter 32, but I'm not going to steal 
the next person's sermon, so I won't say too much about it. But for me, it's one of the most awesome events in the whole of Scripture. Frederick Buchner, one of the most read Christian authors of our time, speaks of Jacob's divine encounter at the Jabbok River as the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. In it we find Jacob completely left alone, just as he was when he entered his journey 20 years earlier. For a whole night, Jacob wrestles with God. That was in our first psalm this morning, wrestling. And as a result, he is profoundly changed, totally surrendered, completely dependent on the Lord. And he comes away from the encounter with a new level of intimacy, a new intimacy with God, a new name. He's given a new name. He has new courage. But he also comes away with a limp, the limp of dependency. Now, maybe like me right now, in your private life, you're wrestling with God. I know I have for the last few months. Don't let go. Keep praying. Keep calling out. Keep seeking the answers to the promises. It's often a lonely place where we're stripped of all our props and our resources. It's a place of being vulnerable, of complete honesty and openness. Don't let go, because the promise is he will bless you. You may come away limping, but you'll know the Father deeply, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was so profound for Jacob that he declares, I saw face to face God, and yet my life was spared. And so he called it Peniel, and Peniel meaning God's face. God's face. But here we are in chapter 31, between Bethel and Peniel, between God's place and God's face. Between the ladder and the limp. And it's a place called Haran, which aptly means a road. Maybe because it was on the main caravan route between, you know, in that fertile crescent you see on Bible maps at the back of Bibles, on that fertile crescent between Persia and Africa. Jacob's road has seen him working for his uncle Laban, as we've just read, for 20 years in the mountainous region of Haran. Now, I thought about this. There's the road. If captured on a Facebook post, things would look pretty rosy. You'd see him proudly posing with his uncle as he learns how to farm. You'd see him with his lovely wife, Rachel, on their wedding day. A few years later, you'd see a video clip of him playing with his 11 boys and one girl called Dinah. 
You might then read a post about his, how he's used an unusual method to genetically engineer the very best of sheep and goat breeds and how well off he is as a result. But as we all know, Facebook posts don't really tell the full story of our lives. Actually, he's met his match in Uncle Laban. He's been tricked, he's been deceived, he's been completely ripped off. There are jealousies, there are conflicts, there are false starts, there are doubts, struggles with fear, empty feelings of powerlessness, exhaustion, questioning of where God is in all of this. To know Jacob's story is to know his life was actually one of unending struggles. And in Jacob's story, I'm sure we can recognize ourselves. We've had an encounter with God perhaps years ago. And we know we're saved. We know we're forgiven. We've just been singing about that. Reconciled. But life between the occasional Facebook posts is still very complicated. The road is full of struggles and challenges, of disappointments and questions. But a lot else has been happening in Jacob's life. Over the last 20 years, but they're not so evident, Jacob has been transformed by God, slowly but surely. The message planted years before has been getting through to Jacob. In Genesis 30, we saw Jacob who was tempted to trust in his own skill, his own schemes to bring about his prosperity. But Genesis 31 is when he's relating the source of that prosperity to his wives, Leah and Rachel, he doesn't mention one thing about his own skill. He entirely credits it to the Lord. The deceiver has become a believer who hears, notices, perceives, remembers, and is convicted. So, if you've still got your Bibles in front of you, if you're interested in turning, Jacob hears. So, verse 1, it says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned, has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. He was starting to really hear, really listen. What? What's actually going on around me? Then he notices in verse 2, Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him what hadn't been what it had been, sorry, wasn't what it had been. So he heard something. He was starting to really perceive. I'm hearing it. I'm noticing what's going on around me. And then in verse 5 to 7, he perceives. He says to them, I see that your, or I perceive your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but that God, my father, wow, that's a change, isn't it? God, my father, has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. So he's really starting to get it. Took a while. Jacob remembers. He's reminded in a dream of a vow that he made 
at Bethel 20 years before in verses 10 to 13. Verse 11, the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. Boy, that's common in the Bible, isn't it? Here I am. And the God of Beth, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. And he remembers what was promised by God at Bethel, God's place, remember. I'm with you, God had said. I'll protect you wherever you go. And one day I'll bring you back to the land. I will not leave you until I've finished everything I want to accomplish through you. And he remembered that if God was faithful, he would follow. He had made a vow. And God was reminding him of that again. These are good things to bear in mind. Are you, if you're seeking the Lord for your leading, are you really trying to listen? Are you noticing? Are you perceiving things around you? Are you remembering what the Lord has done in your life before? And then over in verses 3 to 5 of the next chapter, we read that Jacob's conscience had been convicted and that he needed to reconcile himself with his brother Esau. So all of these things are going on in his heart and in his mind. He's increasingly ready to face himself, to face himself and face the future with less reliance on his own understanding, his own resources, his own tactics, and far more dependency upon God. And they come together in the same way as we often find God ordering our own circumstances to show us a path we should take. So my question to you, to myself, is what are we hearing? What are we noticing? What are we perceiving, remembering? What are we being convicted of? Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Because those are the sorts of things that God will use. Perhaps you're being reminded of vows that you've made to the Lord in the past. And then everything changes. God speaks to Jacob. Verse 3. Go back to the land of your fathers, your relatives, and I'll be with you. Verse 13. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. You've got to move. You've got to move. It's time to move. I mean, right now, move. You know, the tape has been running inside his head for years, but it's interrupted by God's voice. And you see this soundtrack going through his head for all these years has been, I am the victim. It's always somebody else's fault. Esau's fault. My father's fault. Laban's fault. Laban's son's fault. My wife's. Everywhere he turns, something goes wrong. There's always someone to blame. But the voice cuts across all of that. There are no excuses left, no deceptive defences, nowhere to go, but with God's promise. A month ago, back in St. Margaret's, I talked about Isaac. He was a man of 
promise of the promises. He was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. And now Jacob is learning the same. God's words of promise and reassurance enable him to be reconciled with his past and to face his future. It frees him to move. And that's what we need to do. For many of us, we have a constant narrative running through our heads. I woke up with it this morning. But you have to stop the narrative that keeps you bound, blaming others, blaming yourself. And you've got to move. Will you be like Jacob who confronted his failures, his weaknesses, his sins, all the things that were hurting him and was willing to move? Move to that place of full surrender and dependency. It takes courage. But when you hear that call, that voice, along with all those circumstantial pointers, the only response really is to obey without delay. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find it. So verse 4 says, he sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. And then Rachel and Leah replied later, surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. Do whatever God has told you to do. And he put them on camels and he drove all the livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated to go to his father. Isn't that wonderful? To go to his father. Jacob said to his wives, God of my God my father has been with me. His speech is now absolutely peppered with hope. His wives agree. Go ahead. Do whatever God's told you. But while some might endorse your response to God, don't be surprised when God tells you you've got to move. Others won't always understand or agree. In fact, they'll do things to dissuade you, to convince you to stay or move on their terms. As in the case of Jacob, it's often those closest to us who frustrate the moves of God. Think about that. He pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead, verse 25, when Laban overtook him. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me. You've carried off my daughters. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy? Really? I have the power to harm you, he says in the very next sentence. <laughs> but God kept his hand, and of course we know. Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, good or bad. But he even sees it. 
He says, now you've gone off because you long to return to your father. So we meet a different Jacob. He's no longer a deceiver. He confronts his past, represented by Laban. I love this. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. He hadn't been doing that for 20 years. What's my crime? How have I wronged you? This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime. The cold at night, I slept and sleep fled from my eyes. It's been like this for 20 years. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for the flocks. You've changed my wages 10 times. I wonder if they went down. If God, my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, I would have been sent away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship, and he's rebuked you. So here he is. He's confronting his fears by fearing God, just like his father Isaac. He confronts Laban because he's got his renewed faith in God. He's confident because he recognizes that he's a recipient of God's amazing grace. And he knows where he's moving to his father. And there they set up a boundary. And they call it mispar, which means witness. This constant reminder that he's moved on. And there's no turning back. So what's God saying to us? What's he saying to you? Are you really listening to his voice? I believe for many of us, we've seen, we've heard, we've remembered, we've perceived, we've consulted, we've felt convicted, and we're waiting for God's voice. You've got to move. You've got to move. You've got to move, child. You gotta move, for when the Lord gets ready, you gotta move. That's right. You gotta move from the testimony of what God did for you 20 years ago. So many times we stop after our first encounter, the first place of God, and we don't seek the face of God. We settle for so much less than he's promised us. A stale testimony of 20 years ago. Won't do it, folks. What's he saying to you now? What's he doing in your life right now? You've got to move from resentment to reconciliation and relationship like Luke talked about a few weeks ago. What needs to move in your relationships? You've got to move from victim to victor. What needs to be confronted and dealt with in your past so that you can overcome and be the overcomer that God wants you to be? It won't be easy. We never can do it by ourselves. But are you prepared to move? You've got to move from self-reliance to a place of full dependence upon God. What needs to be given away? What needs to be relinquished? You've got to move, even in the face of opposition and persuasion, to remain just as you are. God wants you to follow his leading. 
not others pleading. You've got to move from complacency to engagement, from shallowness to deep communion. I'm talking to myself here. From milk to meat. What needs to move in your prayer life, in your spiritual disciplines? You've got to move from a passing knowledge of the Holy Spirit to being completely baptized in the Spirit. How much do you want to be filled? You got to move. You got to move. You got to move, child. You got to move. For when the Lord gets ready, you got to move. You gotta move, you gotta move, child. You gotta move. For when the Lord gets ready, you gotta move. You may be high, you may be low, you may be rich, you may be poor, but when the Lord, He gets ready, You gotta move, you gotta move, child, you gotta move, for when the Lord gets ready, you gotta move. You may run, so you can't be caught, you may hide, so you can't be found, but when the Lord gets ready, you gotta move. Let's stand. You gotta move. You gotta move. Yeah. You gotta move, child. You gotta move. For when the Lord gets ready, you gotta move one more time. You gotta move, yes. You gotta move. You gotta move, child. You gotta move for when the Lord gets ready. You gotta move. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, whatever gain we have. We count it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, we count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing you as Christ our Lord. For your sake, we suffer loss of all things. And today we count them as rubbish in order that we may gain Christ and be found in you not having a righteousness of our own, but that which comes through faith in you, dear Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that we may know you, that we might know the power of your resurrection, that we might share in your suffering, Lord, and become like you in your death. 
And Lord, we recognize that we haven't already obtained this. We're not already perfect. But Lord, we do press on. We press on to make it our own because you, Lord Jesus, have made each one of us your own. And one thing we all do, we forget what lies behind. We strain forward to what lies ahead. And we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in our Saviour and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless. God bless.